0: In the book of Ephesians, we're now in the second half of Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, or perhaps churches. Could have been circular, um, but for certain, one of those was in Ephesus. And we're now, having looked at the first half of the book, which is the doctrinal portion, we're now looking at the more practical, the more down-to-earth, where we put feet to things that we believe and try to behave in a way that is honoring to the God who has redeemed us and saved us and brought us to be one people, one race throughout the world, the the Christian race. We are now seeing that God's new humanity needs new standards. We've been looking at that uh, throughout uh, so far in chapter 4. We're about to wrap up chapter 4 and be starting into chapter 5 next week. And uh, in some ways, this is, uh, continues to carry on. Our scripture reading this morning is from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 32. And again, I would remind you, this is the word of the Lord. Hear it with careful attention. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you, Speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. So that we may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. But only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion. That it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. By whom you were sealed for the day. Of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. The grass withers, the flower fades. God's word stands forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, once again, we know that only with your help will we understand and apply the engrafted word with meekness. Father, you've given us your word and yet we can't really understand it as we should unless the Holy Spirit also come and do his special work enlightening your truth to our eyes and our understandings father once again today we would see jesus in Him, in him only and we pray in jesus name amen as you know the kind of clothing we wear on any given occasion depends on that occasion and particularly the role that we might be fulfilling or playing in that occasion. For example, if we go to a funeral, we dress one way. That's appropriate with going to a funeral. On the other hand, when we go to a crawfish boil, we don't wear the same clothes. We put on different clothes that are suitable and appropriate. Now, for all you military folks, since we live in a military-dominated community, similarly, when a soldier leaves the army, because he's a civilian, he gets out of what? Uniform. He may get to keep it, but he gets out of it and doesn't wear it for special occasions uh, from time to time. If he can still, or he or she can still fit in it. But a soldier, when he leaves and becomes a civilian, he gets out of uniform. And he gets into what? Casual clothes, otherwise known as civvies. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. I knew y'all would finish that for me. In the same way, now, in a similar fashion, the Apostle Paul told the Ephesians that by extension, us too, told the Ephesians originally, and by extension, he's telling us. That in Christ we are now a new creation. That's not something that we're going to try to become and do. We already are in Christ a new creation. The old is past and the new has come. But now Paul is concerned that we wear appropriate apparel for that new life that we've been given in Christ. We are now a new creation and consequently, we have put off, past tense, the old humanity and have put on the new. But now, how do we adorn ourselves? How do we clothe ourselves so that what we do and how we behave adorns and honors the God who made us a new creation? We must now do some putting off of the old and putting on of the new. Our new role in the service of King Jesus will mean wearing different clothes than we used to. Our behavior in the past when we were not in Christ, when we were not saved, when we are not yet forgiven by God because of our sins, our, those, that apparel, those behaviors, those attitudes, those words and actions no longer belong to us. We are in a different ball game completely. We are now in Christ, and we should be learning the language and the songs of Zion, not the songs of our past. Our new role in the service of King Jesus will mean we will be wearing new clothes, spiritually speaking. New life requires a new lifestyle, ethically speaking now you notice that Paul began in verse 25 with the word therefore he's telling us now now I've told you that you're a new creation you're no longer the old man is dead the new person you are alive in Christ now go out and act and behave in such a way that adorns that behave in such a way that you will be consistent with the kind of persons that you have now become in Christ. That's what Paul's trying to get across. Now, here's our outline. Pretty simple today. The practical examples, the pointed exhortations, and the the person to emulate. Let me say that again. The practical examples the pointed exhortations, and the person to emulate. Now, as for the practical examples, that's going to take up most of the text this morning. Verses 25 through 30. So if this one seems to be getting long, and you're thinking, oh, no, there's two more to come, relax. (laughs) They're short (laughs) compared to this one, okay? Uh, So don't get nervous. Um, First of all, I want you to notice Paul gives us several practical examples of what this new clothing should look like. What's it consist of? What's it made of? How do you use it? And he does so by giving us an example of four things. Four things. See, One, two, three, four. Yeah, one, two, three, four. Four things that we're supposed to put on. Now that we've put off, the old, we're now to put on. Again, we were not in Christ at one point. Now we're in Christ. That is our being, our person. But now, we're to, Paul is giving you negative things and positive things. Negative things that he doesn't want us to do and positive things he's encouraging us to do and exhorting us to do. And he's given us those four examples here. Now, the first one is this. He's saying to the Ephesians and to us, you need to turn from lying to telling the truth. In the ancient world, Greeks were notorious liars. It just came with the territory. They were having to learn not to lie overtly or even little white lies. They were having being told they needed to learn. Listen to verse 25 through 30 again. Or actually, let's just go through uh, 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let, now he's saying, here's the, here's the putting on the clothes. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. You heard the, the negative, the false, put away falsehood and positively speak the truth. With his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Now, the parallel example of this is found in Colossians. Listen, this is in Colossians 3 9 through 10. What do you know about Colossians already? It's kind of the sister book for Ephesians. A lot of the same things. A lot of times they're helpful in understanding one part. If if it seems a little clouded, go to the other part and you can get a good grasp sometime by doing that. Scripture interprets scripture, remember? Don't forget that. It's an important hermeneutic or or tool for interpreting the truth of the Bible. Colossians 3.9 says this, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self. He's saying, you've already put off, you're you're a new new person. You're no longer that old person. You are not captive to that any longer. You don't have to do that. He says, you have put off the old self. With its practices. Now, put on the new self. Put on the new clothes. Speak truth. He goes on to fill that out and flush that out more fully. Now, there is no equivocation here. There is no place for falsehood in the body of Christ. And yet, there's all kind of falsehood in churches today. Maybe not the most egregious and overt forms, but again, you know, little white lies. Never hurt anybody, right? We're just not really truthful a lot of times. We really don't speak the truth to one another. And then even when we do, sometimes we don't speak it in love. Remember, we've already covered that so far. See, Paul is picking up on an Old Testament thing. Once again, Paul's not just pulling all of this stuff out of the out of nowhere. He's going back into the Old Testament scriptures, and he's remembering Zechariah eight, where there is a Pro- Old Testament promise that God's new people will speak truth to their neighbors. They won't be known for lying and cheating and trying to hedge things and fudge things and not really quite tell the truth or not tell it when you're there but behind your back. He was saying God had promised the day will come and Paul is thinking of that day here hoping that this is the day that God's new people Jews and Gentiles will speak the truth to one another. Interestingly, Paul Ignores the fact that lying is a sin first and foremost against who? God. He doesn't mention that. He goes straight to the body of Christ. Lying to or lying in the midst of the body of Christ is a very, very unchrist-like thing. He says, he ignores that, and he exposes it as a sin against the body. This requires speaking truthfully to each other. Speaking truthfully to each other. Now, obviously, you should know by now, there, is no, there should be no place for gossip, tail bearing, backbiting, all that kind of stuff that is all too common in too many churches. I'm going to say something, and don't, don't, don't disappoint me, okay? Generally speaking, this church is not as bad as, about that as others I have known through the years. But we're not perfect. We sometimes still don't speak the truth. And you know what? Don't forget that you can lie by your speech. Of course you can. But do you know that you can lie by not saying anything? You say, well, what do you mean, Joe? How can you lie by your silence? Well, you can lie by your silence when you should be telling the truth to someone who needs it, and yet you're chicken. You're unwilling. You would rather go behind their back and tell it to someone else than tell it to them because that's more comfortable for you and me. You see, it's called a sin of omission, remember? There are not only sins of commission, what you actually do, but there are the things you should be doing, which is speak the truth, and you're not. What does that make you? Committing a sin of omission. Speaking the truth is not an easy task, is it? I don't like to hear the truth sometimes from people that love me, but I'm most of the time, once I get over it and once I go pout about it for a while, I'm thankful for truth tellers in my life, in my family, in this family. And sometimes I'm going to tell you a truth that you're not going to like. But you see, we need to do that. We need to be willing to speak. It's, an, it's an, a positive encouragement, an exhortation. Paul saying, go around, tell the truth to each other. Now, hopefully a lot of that truth should be encouraging and positive things. But sometimes it may need to be, brother, I, I love you this about you, and I love your heart, and I love the way you do this but you probably don't even know it, but man, you just stepped all over the toes of Sister Jane there. You know, um, you know I, think you re- I think you need to, you need to go and, 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 you know, make it right with her. It's hard to speak the truth and yet that's what we're called to because Christ was the essence of truth. You remember the last week, the truth as it is in Jesus, that's ultimate truth. Secondly, we must turn from uncontrolled anger to self control. Listen to verses 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin, and do not let the sun go down in your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Did you know that it's possible to be angry without sinning? Did you know that? It says it right here. <laughs> Literally, be angry. But don't sin in your anger. How is that? How can that be? Yes, there is such thing as righteous anger. Jesus practiced it many times. Scourging the money changers from the temple. Looking at the hardness, just we saw last week, of the heart of the Pharisees. And it said he was filled with anger because of the hardness of their hearts. There is a time for anger. And there is a place for it. Other examples. If somehow, if you see someone that is truly being victimized, if you see injustice and it doesn't bother you and if it doesn't anger you, there's something wrong with you and me. There are things to stand up and there are times to say, I will not let this go down. I am angry about this. I'm going to find a way to try to address this. In the best way possible. But. Here's the but. We are not to indulge our anger. So that it becomes self-important. Or self-righteous. And oh how good we are at that. We may start off on the good foot. But we end up on the bad one. Because. Because. We begin to just let it, and we let it continue and stir, and we begin to let go of the one who only can truly address that. We don't look to him. We keep trying to deal with it internally ourselves. Interesting, listen to this passage from Psalm 4, 4 through 5. Here again, another Old Testament passage talking about what Paul brings up. Be angry. There's the Old Testament saying be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your hearts, on your beds, and be silent. In other words, don't go flying off the handle. Don't go ripping away at it. Think carefully. And then it says offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. What do you ultimately do with something that makes you angry? At some point, you're going to have to let that go and turn that over to the Lord. And that's where we mess up. We ang- we, in our anger, we sin because we keep trying to make it right ourselves. Paul says it is wise to adopt a time limit for grievances. That's why he said, don't the son. It's, it's, it's a metaphor, but saying, hey, look, there's only so much time, you ought to be handling this, and then you've got to pass it off to the one who can do something about it. And stop trying to execute it yourself. You see, Paul says it's wise to adopt a time limit and to give up our causes and campaigns at the end of the day so that what? Satan won't have a heyday with you and me. He won't be able to find an opportunity to build up divisive factions that endanger the church. Unity. The church's unity. If you give him an opportunity and you got a bunch of roaring anger spewing out, all around, that's, that's right. inviting him right into your wheelhouse. He loves to deal with that. He loves to deal with an angry, bitter, unforgiving person like that. You see, these are community ethics. Remember that. Paul's not really talking about just one-on-one stuff here. It does have one-on-one implication, of course, for all of us. But he's really saying, this is about the body of Christ. These are things that are going to tear it apart. If you are false to each other, if you're not speaking the truth, you've got to do that if you're going to hold the line and hold the body of Christ together. You can't give the devil an opportunity. You've got to have short accounts in dealing with your anger. Now, thirdly, we must turn from stealing to useful labor. Listen again, verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, Paul likely has what? The seventh commandment in mind (laughs) do not steal. But you know what? I don't think he has bank robbers in mind. He doesn't have bank robbers on the brain. He's not thinking about that kind of overt stealing. Something much more subtle, much closer to home. He's envisioning all forms of misappropriation. Whether it's permanently borrowing something and not returning it. Overcharging clients. Falsely claiming expenses that you didn't have, or trying to evade taxes, and the list goes on and on and on. You see, all those are forms of theft. By the way, this is this is not in the text, but it's an aside. I'll tell you something else that's a form of theft. It's called inflation, and it violates two of the commandments: lying and stealing. It's a form of lying. It doesn't tell the truth, and it steals from those who can least afford it. And yet governments do it all the time. It's being done right now, but it ultimately harms those most in need. You see, Paul Paul urges us to seek gainful employment not just for our own welfare but so that we can help others that's his point the real crux of Paul's point is that we should become sharers with others rather than takers from others a lot of that going on too those being takers from others he says no what you have Use to share with those in need rather than be a taker from others. Rather than being jealous and envious and want to try to bring down those who have more than you. In essence, Paul is saying, stop sponging and start supplying, church of Christ. Stop sponging and start supplying. Note well that when Paul uses the word share, he is referring to giving others personally, individually, family group, personally, not through some kind of redistributive, coercive scheme. People go to the Bible and try to find communist nonsense in the Bible. It's not there. We're to give freely out of what we have to those in need, not to have that compelled and forced upon us. Fourthly, we must turn from harmful to helpful speech verses 40, uh, 29 through thirty listen. so let no corrupting talk out of your come out, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now here, Paul is saying we must turn from harmful speech. The harmful speech here is, is more than a potty mouth i'm not saying that having a potty mouth is a good thing no not at all but it's more than that it's not just about saying four-letter words when you bang your thumb with a hammer it is much more than that this harmful speech is literally rotten it has a corrosive rotting influence when it's used and it fuels dissension this kind of speech is the kind of speech that has a rotting influence on the healthiness of the body of christ and it fuels division augustine the famous augustine had this motto that went like this He who speaks evil of an absent man or woman is not welcome at the table. It's probably a reference to the Lord's table. He, listen again, who speaks evil, in other words, you're going behind divisively, behind someone's back, and you're speaking evil of him or her, said so that person's not welcome to the table. Why? Because they're slamming a wedge and dividing the body of Christ. You see such talk needs to be replaced with wholesome words that encourage and strengthen the church and the faith of others. So, this rotten Vocal behavior is, guess what, to the Holy Spirit? Grievous. In context, this is not something about the Holy Spirit out of context. Like, okay, jump to the next. No, it's saying this kind of talk that is divisive, this breaks the Holy Spirit's heart. It's grievous. Paul is referring to the rebellious Israelites on their way out of the promised land in Isaiah sixty three ten. you remember what did they do grumble 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 complain 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 over and over and over and over again all they were doing was being divisive grumbling always complaining about the plan what about this what about what are we going to do It's that kind of speech that is damaging to the body of Christ and it grieves the Holy Spirit. By the way, the Holy Spirit can be grieved and the indication of that is he's a person, not an impersonal force. Or another way to put it, he's not a phantom. He's a person. He's a person. Now, Paul, having given us these examples quickly he's pointed out in verse 31 he points out exhort- a few exhortations. He has given us these four examples now he's going to give us rapid fire six. let's so do that one right yeah six he's going to give us six pointed exhortations. Paul has practical examples and now, He's going to give us a flurry of pointed exhortations. Again, put off this stuff. This is the negative he's giving us now. He is saying this stuff you shouldn't have anywhere hanging around. These are bad behaviors. Listen to them in verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away along with malice. There they are. And you know what those are? They're six bad behaviors, or we could call them the dirty half dozen. That's what they are. They're assertions of the old self, of your old way, your old patterns. And they go together with our new self just like oil and water. No, <laughs> they don't go together because oil and water what? Don't mix and this should never mix among the people of God. That old pattern, those kind of negative, they shouldn't even be anywhere near the purposes of God and the people of God as they live out their lives before him, not being caught up in all of that negativity. The divisive attitudes and behaviors forbidden in verse 31 Disrupt the unity of the spirit that's been established in Christ's church. Chapter 4, verse 3 is where we see God establishing the unity. And all of these things mitigate against it. I don't know if you think about this much. We don't like to think about the more negative things. But one of the negative things sometimes that sadly we have to consider as officers of the church is someone that needs to be disciplined. They need to be shepherded through something that they're doing that is harmful to the body and to the church. And there are a lot of possibilities of what can bring about discipline, but I will tell you just a very simple, simple pattern that you can remember very easily. There are three cases or causes for church discipline that are right there, plain on the surface. I'm not saying there couldn't be something else, but these three will catch 95% or more of whenever there's a problem that has to be dealt with. What are they? True heresy. When we say yes to something the Bible says no, or, to, or when we say the Bible teaches this and it's totally contrary to what the Bible actually teaches. If it's a serious problem, a serious core issue, that's heresy. The other cause of possible discipline is impenitence. That simply means someone who, who has done something and just continues willfully to do it and says, I don't care who you are, I will do whatever I want to do. And they keep on impenitently. They don't change. I'm not talking about somebody who struggles in a circumstance. For a time, but one that says, I'm not going to change. They're impenitent, willful. And the third one is divisiveness. That's the reason to discipline someone in a church. If there is continued divisiveness, that person may need to be removed from the fellowship. God takes his body seriously. It is a fragile, beautiful thing, but it can be broken by divisive behavior and packed patterns and practices. Finally, just very quickly, the, the person to emulate. Who's that? <laughs> I think you know. Listen, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Instead of all these malicious traits, the Christian should put on the apparel that's appropriate of the new self. The verse provides us both motivation and a model for forgiveness. Now, you see, when we're moved to forgiveness, why do we do it? When we're moved to to, to actually grant someone, is it because they're such a nice person Or is it because the one you you wronged is really worthy? No. Because God has forgiven us in Christ. That's the motivation of why we should forgive one another. Matthew 18. We should forgive one another. Why? Because God has first and foremost forgiven us. You see, mutual forgiveness is a further mark of true Christian fellowship. And Paul points out the strongest possible motive. He says, Christians are to forgive one another because God has already forgiven them. And the word as is implying that our forgiveness in some way or another mirrors or mimics or kind of, Give something that's corresponding to what God has done. When we forgive, that's exactly what Ephesians is saying. Forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven you. You say, Joe, but you don't know how hard what that person did to me, how painful that has been, how hard that has been for me to forgive. Yeah, I know. It is hard. But the point is not, there's nothing you and I can ever endure here that is what God has given to right the wrongs that we have done and has given us now forgiveness in Christ. How can we then hold back and not forgive something lesser when he has forgiven so much something so great as the cost of his own son he gave in order to make right our wrongs. You see, when we want forgiveness. Well, excuse me, when we grant forgiveness and when you and I show tenderness and kindness to those who flat out don't deserve it at all. You know what we're doing? We're emulating God. The person to emulate. We're emulating God. We're mimicking him who do you know that needs such godlike grace and forgiveness today now let me make something real clear forgiveness is not the same thing as forgetting all things that have happened sometimes you can forgive from the heart but you get wise as to not keep stepping in the same thing that that person is doing and because the behavior continues to be wrong. Forgiveness does not wipe the slate clean. It does, from the standpoint of the ledger of your, what's in your heart, it clears you and you, you are no longer holding that person. But that doesn't mean that that's automatic a builder of trust. Trust has to be earned, it's not something that can be forgiven. Forgiveness is an act or an action. Trust is something that has to be learned. So don't, don't, conf- don't confuse the two. But I'm saying the point of forgiving someone is there someone who needs this tender, godlike grace and forgiveness that you know of, that you know about. Maybe you don't have a chance to do anything about it. Maybe it's too far gone. They're not even here anymore. You always start from the heart, and if the opportunity comes you then respond to that. Remember, brothers and sisters, like father, like son and daughter. He asked me to remind you. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your amazing love and grace and your forgiveness of such undeserving and unworthy sinners as we are all. And yet, Father, we pray that you will grant us the grace because we don't have it in ourselves. By your Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, that you would grant us to be able to forgive in some way with the, with the freedom that you have forgiven us in Christ. To let it go and not continue to let it grow into bitterness within us. Father, make your church healthy and whole and keep us from division and lord we pray that you we would honor you in the way the new clothes that we wear that we'll want to adorn the things that that please you and that bring your smile and we pray all this now in jesus name and for his sake amen